Good, Matt. Um, I'm, I'm going to be teaching on honor, as you can see, where we're honoring the Lord and honoring others as well. But I want to, to, to gain a, a, a biblical understanding of honor, we need to look at a few related terms as well as honor. One is respect, one is authority, and the other is submission, the S word, as I call it, submission. Now, when we're looking at these sayings, respect, authority, submission, we want to keep in mind that these are kingdom principles. Kingdom principles are not like worldly principles. Kingdom principles are not like worldly wisdom. Kingdom principles run counter to the principles of this age. In fact, they run counter to the way we personally feel about things, more often than not. Take, for example, the, the, the principle of forgiveness. It's opposite to what the world practices and what we most, more often than not feel. What about miracles? Miracles are the supernatural invasion of God into the natural realm. Well, such, that insults the scientific mind, doesn't it? And it's even a stretch for some believers. What about tithing? Whoever heard of giving God 10% of your income when things are so tight? Well, I know, but... All of this is, is similar to how submission and authority seem archaic to our quote-unquote enlightened society. Where, and, and often it's uncomfortable to, the, to many believers, especially the proud and the independent, and those who have been spiritually abused in this area of submission and authority. But regardless of the kingdom principles... And our society's lack of acceptance and even our own reticence to not accept it, nothing negates the principle. Kingdom principles come from the king. They're therefore timeless and effective. And during worship, I, we were singing the song, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. You know, a relationship with borders is not one of trust. Once you place borders up in a relationship, there's not the trust there. And we often place borders around relationships. We place borders around situations, around uh, uh, circumstances, even around principles like what I'm talking about. We place borders around these principles and such out of fear, out of insecurity, out of pride, out of ignorance, out of stubbornness, etc. And, 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 and actually... What, what happens is we make things such as submission to authority restrictive in the sense that we place, we think of it already as restrictive. Oh, we have to tithe. Oh, we have to submit to authority. Oh, we have to forgive. We think of those things as restrictive. What we do is we place borders around these things because of our misconception of the freedom of the principle that comes from God. So we place borders around these things and in our faith and and and. And what happens is we, we then lack trust in the Lord to work and live without borders. And that's what we want. And so these are, again, these are principles. They are not laws. Did you know you don't have to forgive? Did you know that you don't have to tithe? Did you know you don't have to believe in miracles? We don't have to even honor or submit. They're principles 
That means we have a choice whether or not to follow them. But as we're going to see, there's always benefits and there's always advantages when we do live by kingdom principles established by the king. In fact, our spiritual authority, our spiritual maturity uh, depends upon following the principles of the king. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would not be for that would be no advantage to you. So this implies that when we do not obey and submit to spiritual authority, it not only becomes a burden for them to lead, but it becomes a burden to follow as well. True joy comes from following kingdom principles. And so when the principles of honor and submission are followed, everybody who's working in the kingdom, that work will become a joy to them. In other words, it won't lead to burnout, it won't lead to stress, it won't lead to anxiety. When there's a submission, and we'll deal with this a little bit later, mutual honor, what happens is joy fills the work. Keep in mind, I'm a child of the 60s. We were taught not to trust anybody over 30. We were told if it feels good, do it. We resisted authority, we refused to submit, and even after I got saved, I, I struggled with verses like this in, in Hebrews. I mean, I, I probably didn't think it applied to me, you know, or I, maybe I redefined the terms, you know, like the meaning of whatever. And my point is that I was not born a pastor. I ignored verses like this just like anybody else. And even though God had to pound me over the head to get through to me, I can tell you through experience that living according to kingdom principles is the only way to experience the joy of the kingdom. Because often in say, we want the joy of the Lord, we want the joy of the kingdom, and we're living opposed to the principles of the kingdom. And I don't want to balance this teaching. I don't have time to balance the teaching by addressing all the, you know, what-ifs of submission and honor and respect. Like, what if spiritual authority is being abused? Or what if the one in authority is wrong? Or are we, do we always give, you know, like so-called blind submission? And I don't have time to deal with those issues, but I will say this. Even though some of our questions do come from le legitimate concern based upon some of our experience, most of the time what I've seen and observed, even with myself in the past, is that many questions are simply excuses not to follow the kingdom principle of submission. People do the same thing with forgiveness, miracles, and tithing. There's always questions that need answering or, or, or a situation that needs qualifying, you know, or, or, or you know, an, an exception or whatever before some are willing to obey the Lord. But what I've learned over the years, most of the time through my own personal mistakes, is I would rather follow kingdom principles and still have questions. I would rather live according to the principles I see in Scripture and at the same time have the willingness to say, I don't know, to some of the questions that go with it. The other thing I've learned is that a person will never fully understand a kingdom principle until they actually do it. You will never understand the power of forgiveness until you forgive a person that doesn't deserve it. You will never completely embrace miracles unless you have the opportunity to participate in one or at the very least observe one. 
You will always have excuses in the area of tithing until you begin to give 10% and discover how the Lord blesses your integrity and obedience. You're never going to fully appreciate the principle of submission to authority until you embrace it, begin to walk through difficult situations with difficult people. I was always a rebel in this area of submission, as I suggested to you. God finally got a hold of me, and for the first time, I began to understand submission to authority in a scriptural way. But my authority, my understanding was, was complete once I experienced it, once I went through it and, and, and surrendered to the will of God in the midst of, of, of difficult circumstances, unreasonable situations, and certainly some of the most unreasonable bosses and leaders in my life. And then I discovered, wow, I am like clay in the potter's hand, huh? I am like clay in his hand. He's just forming me. He's using other people and other situations to form me into this beautiful vessel. And it's painful at times. It's difficult at times. It's frustrating. It doesn't answer all my questions. But to see, the thing is, we learn through experience. We may initially gain understanding in areas such as this, such as tithing and submission and miracles. And we may initially get it through teaching or maybe revelation. But, but, but we must be willing to put kingdom principles into action if we're ever going to expect to grow mature in the kingdom. Because when we do put them into action, then it becomes a joy. And it's really the joy of honor. We're honoring one another. 1 Timothy 5.17 the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work as preaching and teaching. Now, some have focused on the word well. Do you see the word well? The elders of the church who, who direct the affairs of the church well, they focus on the word well saying that it implies that we only have to minister, honor ministers who serve well. And I think it's an excuse, but I mean, I actually think that's partially true. But I believe that we are called to submit to spiritual authority according to Romans 13 and other passages, regardless of the authority's goodness or effectiveness. We submit to those, we submit to others as unto the Lord. We are actually submitting to God. We can also honor those in spiritual authority despite what they do. However, here, here's the thing that I think Paul's saying. Those that serve and lead well... Serve double honor, uh, deserve double honor. So what is honor? One of the definitions is respect that's given to someone due to a person's position or accomplishments or deeds. So that is part of honor, where somebody is accomplished, their, their position is worthy of our honor. But you may ask, what if the person is bad or sinful? What if the person really doesn't have accomplishment or deeds that are worthy of honor? And I think there's a, there's a significant difference between honoring a person and honoring what a person does. I'm in, if I'm in a submission to a person in spiritual authority who is abusing his position or who lacks godly character in, in some area, I can still honor the person without honoring what he's doing. David is a prime example. He was being pursued to the death by King Saul. David was in the right. Saul was wrong. Saul was out to, he, he, was, um, he was evil. He was pursuing evil purposes. Nonetheless, David submitted himself to the authority of, Paul's, of Saul's position. Even though David was the anointed future king, 
He submitted to Saul's position, honored him on more than one occasion, if you recall, had the opportunity to take his life and didn't do it. He didn't ever condone what, what he was doing, but he rightly left everything in the hands of the Lord. We often do that with you know, our leaders in country, like presidents. We don't like at all what they're doing, but we honor the position, honor the authority. Proverbs 18, 12 says this. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. So this is where we get, you know, pride comes before the fall. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. So we can submit to a proud person by honoring their position, but following such a person can prove disastrous because you may be led down as well. When I see pride or arrogance in a, in a leader, I'm very unlikely to follow such a person because they're serious character flaws, and, and there may, it may even indicate more serious character flaws and serious issues. As the proverb says, humility is that which precedes honor. Humility precedes honor. So when I'm able to see the humility of a given leader, I'm, able, I'm more willing to follow the leader because humility points to trustworthiness. You can trust somebody who is continually dying to themselves, or at least attempting to. You know, we don't, we don't only submit to or follow a direction of perfect people, but we want to follow people that are in humility trying to completely empty themselves and become complete servants of the Lord and followers and lovers of Jesus and lovers of others. Luke 14. Jesus tells... Um, <clears throat> A parable. He's probably at lunch. He says, when he noticed how the guests pick up the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to the better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So here again we find this connection between humility and honor. Pride causes you to think that you are special and you deserve the best place. Humility is recognizing that you're not any more special than any other person and that you're only going to sit in, in the place of honor if the host places you there. Honor is how we treat others. It's how we're supposed to treat others. It comes from our honor of God. First of all, as we look at, and we honor God and then we, we view other people as valued in individuals, mutually created uh, in the image of God, where we are all sons and daughters of the King. First Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. So there's respect now with, with that. And, you know, some people, oh, over the years I've just heard this, people have a difficult time with that phrase, who are over you in the light of God. Oh, I don't want anybody over me. 
You know, it's just like, get over it. Because, I mean, this, it's a kingdom principle. There's degrees of, there's levels of authority. There's, level, there's positional authority that God has placed in life. And, and, and so, so what, if somebody's over, he's not, talking about, uh, he's not talking about suppression. He's not talking about oppression. He's talking about a, a, a spiritual covering, the way he blesses uh, order. And, and so Paul's talking here about his fellow workers, those he knew were men and women of humid, humility who had committed themselves to the work of the kingdom. And it all has to do with honor. So we respect those who are all about the kingdom. We hold them in the highest regard. One of the Greek definitions for honor is the worth one ascribes to a person. So when we honor someone, we are actually valuing them. We're giving them worth. Does, do the people deserve it? Not necessarily. I mean, do you deserve it from God? Do you deserve everything you get from God? No, not necessarily. But we can honor other people. We can ascribe worth to them. And, and Paul is saying that those who labor in the Lord should be given worth by the ones they're serving. And so I want to tie in with this concept because it's very important. We have, we, we have authority that comes, you know, and, and we'll get to another scripture that deals with it. But I want to also tie in your own, your own spiritual authority. Do you remember, you remember the story of Samson? If you went to Sunday school, you heard the story of Samson and, you know, how he uh, uh, got up in the middle of the night and tore loose those, those huge city gates. You know that each of those gates weighed about a ton? A ton each. He just sets them on his shoulders. Carries him to the top of a hill. You see, Samson was mocking the authority of the Philistines. He was mocking the authority of their gods. And in fact, what he was doing was taking away their authority. Because gates symbolize authority. So he put their gates on his shoulders. He put his their gates shoulders symbolizes a government. And so the government, the, the leadership, the godly direction of Samson, he was able to take the authority and place it upon the kingdom and government of God. And he struck so much fear into the enemy that they conspired to destroy him. How? How did they conspire to destroy Samson? By taking away his authority. And Jesus, just like Samson, came against the gates of hell. He said the gates of hell, which is the authority of hell, will not be able to stand against his church. Because of the, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Satan's authority was exposed and it was defeated. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2 that Jesus disarmed the powers and, and authorities, making a public spectacle of them. And the Greek uh, word picture that you get in that passage in Colossians chapter 2 uh, 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 was, the, uh, was an, a defeated army that they would march through a city stripped naked in humiliation. That's what Jesus did on the cross. That's the power of the cross, completely stripping the enemy of all authority, all power, and marching him in front of us for all to see. Jesus, and, 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 and now that Satan has been defeated, Jesus is saying to the church, now you go and storm the gates in my name. You go. Go, go in my power and destroy the so-called uh, authority of the enemy. Don't let him steal your authority. Go take his. Because I've already beat it. I've already, I've already conquered it. Jesus said the, uh, uh, of the devil, Jesus said of the devil that he came to kill and destroy. And in Hebrews 2.14 and in 
1 John 3, 8, we're told why Jesus came to the earth. In Hebrews, it says he came to destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. 1 John says that Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. So here it is. Jesus, uh, Satan came to destroy, and Jesus came to destroy. If we choose to participate in that which Jesus came to destroy, we'll be preparing, for, we'll be preparing ourselves for, what, for the breakthrough, breakthrough that God has for us. So because God has promised the restoration of our authority, the authority that was stolen by the evil one. He's promised restoration. But more often than not, you cannot have true authority from God until you're under authority. The reason I say more often than not is because there's always exceptions to these. Every principle, there's, you're going to find an exception, but don't let it throw you off the principle. I can give you several exceptions. I can give you an example of one of the most anointed people I've ever known who pulled himself out from authority and yet nevertheless still walked in astounding authority. So I, I might say you cannot have true authority God unless you're under authority, but it can begin that way. You can pull yourself out and still walk in that authority. Now, is that false authority? Is that true? You know, I'm not going to even go there. I'm just going to go. I'm going to stick with the principle. There's always exceptions. There's always people that, you know, what about this? What about this? And then, and then um, it throws you off the whole flow of that authority. And the same thing happens with miracles and tithing and the other examples I gave you. There's always exceptions that pe people will use just to make excuses not to follow the principle. Look at this, and here's a principle. This is Jesus teaching a principle. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 10. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him and asked him for help. So this is a Roman soldier. He's not a man of faith. He's a Roman soldier. He said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said, I will go and heal him. So I'm willing to go to your home. I'm willing to come. And, and the Lord said, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said the following to him, and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now he's speaking to a he's talking about a Roman. He says, I haven't found anyone in Israel, all the Jews, with such great faith. Verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would, and his servant was healed at that very hour. So notice the centurion's understanding of authority. He could tell his soldiers what to do because he lived in submission to authority. And since somehow he knew that Jesus, somehow, I don't know how he knew, somehow he knew that Jesus had someone in higher authority over him. And because of that, you don't need to come to my home. All you're going to do is speak the word. You already have someone higher in authority, so he's going to back your act. That's basically what he's saying. So this, this, this Roman leader rightly understood that the authority of a person directly corresponds to the authority he's under. So if a person removes himself out from under the authority, he loses his own authority. This guy was a military man. Do not the military teach such a thing? How to live and walk in, under authority? That you take yourself out of, from under authority, what's going to happen? You're going to be in trouble. 
So this man knew it. And he thought, well, Jesus, he's got to be, he's got to have somebody in authority over him. And so it says Jesus was astonished. Let me tell you, you're not going to find that in Scripture. Jesus was not astonished by very many people. And he was astonished by this man's understanding of submission to authority. And he connects, here's what's fascinating, he connects this man's understanding to authority to faith. I have not seen such faith. Whoa, how did he come to that? Well, it's, it's in the sense that the reason he had faith was because he understood authority. In other words, those who operate outside of spiritual authority will not operate in the type of faith that pleases Jesus. Those who do understand God-ordained authority are more equipped to operate in Jesus-pleasing faith. Don't you desire the spiritual strength and authority of Samson? Okay, I do. You guys don't? I do. I want that kind of stuff. I want to be able to put on my shoulders all the powers of the enemy and just, you know, and just roll it over to Jesus because it's his authority, it's his government onto his shoulders and defeat the plan of the enemy. Why did Sam, Samson lose his strength and authority? Because he got a haircut. You see, a person's head is also symbolic of authority, symbolic of covering. And when Delilah cut the hair of Samson... His head was exposed. His, his, his authority was cut down to nothing. Remove authority, and the strength of faith goes with it. Now we are under the supreme authority of Jesus. He is our covering, right? He is our covering. However, he's placed us in local expressions of his body. He's called uh, and anointed leaders to, to oversee the work and ministry of a fellowship. Individual uh, authority is released through the understanding of the corporate nature of, of authority, just as was the case with the centurion. And in addition to submitting to spiritual authority as unto the Lord, as the Lord's delegated authority, then um, and giving honor to those who lead well, in addition to all that, it's important that those in authority give honor and respect to those that they are serving. So it's not a burden to anyone. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 B, if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Remember what I said? Honor brings joy. If one part is honored, there's the word honor, every part rejoices. There's the word joy. Honor brings joy. So when the principal kingdom, the kingdom principle of honor is followed, it releases joy in the body of Christ, individually and corporately. And we know this verse, if you remember, this is, the, this is the passage that talks about, it's in the context of the body. And it's recognizing that each and every disciple of Jesus has God-given gifts that we can respect, that we can recognize. In addition, we can give honor to each and every disciple of Jesus because he or she is precisely that, a disciple of Jesus. In that sense, you do not have to do anything for me to honor you. My honor for you should be based upon a natural expression of the kingdom, kingdom relationships. You have royal blood flowing through you, and that's what makes you honorable. You got the blood of the king, the blood of my king. I have the blood of your king. It's flowing in us. That's why we honor. 
Even those, by the way, that prove dishonorable by their actions, I can still choose to honor them out of respect for my king. I may not approve of what they're doing. I may not approve of their lifestyle. I may not choose to follow them, but I'll strive to honor them as, as unto the king, as I honor God. And what happens, I believe, is the restoration of authority. And it's not that each one of us has authority in the sense of positional authority. You know, like, like, like a pastor or church leader or anything like that, that, very few have that call. But it is true that each of us have spiritual authority in the sense of relational authority. Meaning that the authority you have comes from your sonship. Who you are in Christ Jesus, a son or daughter of the King. That's the basis of your authority. The more you walk in the fullness of your knowledge of a son or daughter of the King, the more authority you're going to have to walk in the fullness of the kingdom. And so your authority flows out of your intimacy with God. Knowing who you are will give you authority. And so when we honor one another as, as fellow sons and daughters of the same father, such other has the power to release the authority that's been given us. Did, did not Jesus say, he, Jesus gave us authority, right? So I'm, I give you authority. But just, just as nearly every other kingdom principle, we need to accept it. We need to embrace it. We need to start walking in it. Having others around us who understand the joy of honor and, and, and freely give it to us, and we, in, and, and we give it as well, that helps us walk in the fullness of who we really are and enhances our authority over the enemy. And so when mutual honor is taking place, I believe in the body of Christ, when it's taking place, Satan has very difficult time penetrating the body with his typical lies and deception that, is that is out to destroy relationships because Satan hates unity. He does not like us bound together in relationships. He doesn't like forgiveness. He doesn't like submit. He doesn't like any of that. And so when we bond together, if I honor the one over me and he in turns honor me, it's much more difficult for the enemy to place a wedge between us. That's just the way it is. There becomes a strong bond of honor between two or more individuals that's able to resist the deception of the enemy. Why? Because we believe the best of one another. And that leads us into joy. The joy of honor, the joy of relationships with one another. Amen.